Welcome to Justice Today, the official podcast of the Department of Justice's Office of Justice Programs, otherwise known as OJP, where we shine a light on cutting-edge research and practices and offer an in-depth look at what we're doing to meet the biggest public safety challenges of our time. Join us as we explore how funding, science, and technology help us achieve strong communities. I'm your host, Karen Friedman. I'm the Director of Criminal Justice, Innovation, Development, and Engagement at OJP's Bureau of Justice Assistance, otherwise known as BJA. So, here's a story that might sound familiar. A boy is born in a small Midwestern town to a family with very little money or stability. He struggles, rises from poverty, and becomes a respected civic leader. He enters local politics and gets elected his hometown's mayor. That is an accurate but vastly incomplete biographical sketch of our guest today, the Honorable Jermaine Wilson, who currently serves as mayor of Leavenworth, Kansas. His story is anything but familiar. Mayor Wilson was arrested for the first time at age 12. By age 15, he was serving time in a juvenile lockup. Not long after his release at 19, he was a gang member who was using and selling drugs. He would quickly be incarcerated again, this time as an adult in a maximum security facility. That's where he changed the trajectory of his life. He got clean and seized the opportunities available to him, including enrolling in a program operated by the nonprofit organization Prison Fellowship. And after his release, he undertook the arduous task of building a life without drugs, gangs, or crime. Today, Mayor Jermaine Wilson is a husband and a father of five children. He works as a regional executive with Prison Fellowship. And in 2017, he was the top vote-getter in his first bid for public office, becoming a member of Leavenworth City Commission. Two years later, he was elected mayor. Wow. Mayor Wilson, he is here with us today, and he's here to talk about his remarkable journey and what he has learned along the way. Thank you so much for being here today with us on Justice Today, Mayor Wilson. Thank you for having me, ma'am. It's an honor and a privilege to be here with you today. Uh, Thank you. I guess the first thing is five children, huh? Five kids. (laughs) Yes, ma'am. I I have have four, so I know the struggle. Yes, (laughs) ma'am. Each each one additional kid is like a a world onto themselves. And it, it doesn't just add kind of like one mountain. It adds several. So uh, I uh, I applaud your bravery. <laughs> yeah, each one of my kids represent a certain season of my life. <laughs> yeah, so. I, I hear that. I yeah. hear that. Well, let's let's start by talking about your title, mayor. Um, you've been elected the um, the top official in your hometown for several years now. Um, but I wonder, how does that title feel? Have you gotten used to it? Um, did the young Jermaine Wilson ever say to himself, someday I'm going to be Mayor Wilson? No, I always looked at myself as a leader growing up inside of my community. Uh, 
Now, the second term, with me getting elected the second term, I feel more comfortable with the title. Sometimes it still catches me off guard, just depending on, uh, you know, who's saying it. Like, if it's family members that I grew up with saying, hey, Mary Wilson, I'm like, man, I'm just Jermaine. We family. And but I also look at the uh, the title as an opportunity to to create change, encourage and empower people to make a difference uh, in their personal lives as well as in their community. So when I hear mayor, the first thing that comes to my mind is servant leader. I just don't look at myself as an individual that stand out against other people like, no, I'm with you all. I'm serving you all and I work for you all. And it really helps keeps me humble overall. Very well said. Um, you know, I, I was a judge before I joined BJA, and I, I felt that same way about that very ominous title. Yeah, so I totally, I totally understand um, uh, how you feel about that. Um, now, you've traveled an enormous distance in your life, but physically, you've always stayed close to Leavenworth. Yes, ma'am. Uh, tell us a bit about how you grew up and what what led you into some trouble at, at a young age. Uh, well, I think we all heard the saying, you know, you. You become a product of your environment. Uh, and that's how it was for me. I actually became a product of my environment. Just so happened the environment I was raised in, uh, you know, was a, a, an environment of drugs and violence and being exposed to crime and drugs at an early age. It influenced my way of thinking because I seen it every single day. To me, it seemed like it was a normal behavior. And because I was exposed to it uh, every single day, I didn't know it was bad because it was so accepted inside of my neighborhood. So I began to participate in that behavior and no one ever told me I was doing wrong until I got I encountered uh, law enforcement, that's when I started to realize the lifestyle that I was living and what I was exposed to uh, was not accepted by society. Right. And and, and I guess in, in that neighborhood, also being a tough guy earned you the respect and status um, that you were looking for and that most young people crave, right? Yeah. So um, is, it, how, how did that cycle influence your behavior? Uh, growing up, I dealt with insecurities and, you know, always wanted to be accepted uh, and, 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 and valued by my peers. And at the time, you know, it was the drug dealers and the gang members. Uh, those were the ones that was respected and looked up to in my neighborhood. So that attention that they were getting, that was the attention that I wanted for myself. I wanted to be accepted. I wanted to be looked at as the cool individual. And I learned a long time ago, eventually you turn into the things you tune into. And so I was so focused on that drug dealing, that gang members, lifestyle and behavior. I began to conform into those same behaviors. And that led to a life of pain, heartache, uh, misery. I lost myself in the midst of trying to be like everybody else. I became selfish. And even though I had the material things, I got the attention and I realized uh, deep down I was empty inside. And so I would use drugs and alcohol to cover up my true emotions. Uh, it was the only way that I could cope with uh, my surroundings at the time. Yeah. So then at age 19, you found yourself addicted and you were doing time in a maximum security facility. Um, but, you know, while you were incarcerated, you were able to make a complete U-turn in your life. And, um, you know, we, I would love for, for our listeners to know about that and, and how that came about and what that process was like. 
so when I was incarcerated at 19, you know, I began to, to sober up and I really started to begin to reflect over my life. And, you know, once you have a sober mind, you can clear think uh, you, you can think clearly. And so I seen the pattern, you know, my dad had been in prison. My sister was in prison. My brother was in prison. Now I'm sitting in prison and I realized if I don't change my life, I have an eight month, eight month old son who needs his father. If I don't change, he's going to end up falling in my same footsteps. He's going to end up going to prison as well. And when I realized that I did not want that for my son, I knew I had to change my behavior. I knew I needed to be present with my son because you may know this as well. Kids doesn't necessarily listen to what parents say, but they do exactly what their parents are doing. And so that's when I made the decision uh, to give my life to God. Uh, you know, I wanted something different out of life. I had tried everything else and had failed. I signed up for a Christian program called Prison Fellowship. That was one of the main programs I participated in during my incarceration. I seen myself as a leader. An individual noticed the leader uh characteristics inside of me. And so I looked to start reading up on books and attended classes. John Maxwell, uh, he had a leadership course called Developing the Leader Within, 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership. I wanted to be a father. So I started reading fatherhood books and attending fatherhood classes. And, you know, we all know the importance of money, but we also understand without being educated about money, money serves no purpose. So I began to attend financial literacy classes. I learned how to read while I was in prison, enhanced my vocabulary, and even attended community college uh, English Cop 1 classes, which has still been one of the hardest classes for me. But I participated in it, Donnelly Community College, and also got involved off in the mentoring one-on-one programs. Wow. That's that's amazing. Wow. So, um so you well, let's talk about prison fellowship for a minute because uh-huh. you know that that was really what helped you enormously and now you work for them which is pretty amazing yeah. so uh tell us a little bit about the organization and your role and how it helped you and and how you're using that role now to help others yeah, so uh, Prison Fellowship is the nation's largest Christian nonprofit organization serving prisoners, former prisoners, and their families, and a leading advocate for criminal justice reform. Now, the Academy, which is a 12-month uh, program that I actually participated in, one thing about the Academy, it helped me to identify good values. I learned how to deal with conflict resolution. I learned how to set healthy boundaries. I think boundaries are important for each individual. And I learned how to be responsible by taking ownership of my actions, not blaming anyone else for my mistakes, and becoming who God created me to be. Uh, Prison Fellowship also has the Angel Tree Program uh, where we equip churches to strengthen relationships between incarcerated parents and their children. This program is amazing because even though the parent is not physically there in their child's life, we have churches that are willing to get gifts and give to their children on behalf of the parents. I think many of us can all attest to being a parent, you want to be a protector and you want to be a provider. You may not physically be there with your children, but you have an opportunity to provide. During Christmas time, kids are always expecting a gift. 
I had the opportunity to be able to give a gift on behalf of my son, even though I wasn't physically there through the Angel Tree uh, program and prison fellowship. <clears throat> and also believe that uh, I mean, we are all called not just to restore broken lives, uh, but also to resume broken systems and laws. We equip, equip people uh, of faith to advocate for justice reform that advance proportional punishment, constructive correction culture, and second chances. Uh, I'm living in my second chance right now at this moment. Just so happened this is second chance month. So yep. to be able to uh, be in this place and to share my journey and to give hope to other individuals uh, that have similar backgrounds like I had, uh, it's it's beautiful and amazing. That's awesome. You started talking about um, uh, finances and money. And mm-hmm. that's always a struggle when people are released from incarceration. And when you were released, I believe that your first job was washing dishes and you earned about $8 an hour. So, you know, that's, that's always, that's a struggle, right? So um, I would love for you to tell our listeners a little bit about how you traveled up that economic ladder um, and some of the barriers that you encountered that made that really difficult. So the biggest challenge that I had once I transitioned from incarceration back into society uh, was finding a job. Uh, Many times I was told no, uh, had the experience, had the skill set, but I had a criminal record, which automatically eliminated me uh, from, you know, pursuing that job. And many times that I I tried, you know, over tried with different employers, uh, but I had to settle with the job that was an hour away from Leavenworth. Uh, and I had to work with my mother-in-law and we ended up working at a cleaner's place. And so they gave me an opportunity and a second chance, even though that, you know, the pay wasn't enough to cover my bills. Um, I had to work with uh, the opportunity that was given me. Uh, I didn't have transportation. So my schedule was Based upon my mother-in-law, that became very challenging. I worked that job for six months. Uh, The moment that I wasn't able to go to work because my mother-in-law decided that uh, she was sick that day, they told me if I didn't come and find a way to come, uh, you know, I would lose my job. And so I only had that job for uh, six months. And so the, the resources that I had wasn't enough to cover my bills, which made it very difficult for me to be able to remain in the household uh, that I was in. And so when it was time for me to look for an additional house, uh, it was a challenge, you know, just because I had that record and uh, there were so many uh, homeowners that didn't want to give me that opportunity because they were afraid of what the neighbors may think in the neighborhood. So transportation was a challenge. Uh, finding employment was a challenge. Uh, and then also just with the housing, it was, uh, it took my my pastor to give me that opportunity to find the right housing, uh, which helped me to be able to uh, find a stable place for my for my family. Right. I mean, you really touched in that one answer on all of you know so all of the challenges that I hear all the time from people who are being released from incarceration. Housing's huge. Transportation's huge. Employment's huge. Um, all those are huge hurdles for people, um, you know, who are getting out and are trying to reintegrate into the community in the, you know, in a successful, productive way. So, Mayor Wilson, you spoke earlier about how you had been incarcerated and your father was incarcerated and your sister, I believe you said, was incarcerated. And did you have a brother who was incarcerated as well, I believe you said? I also want to shine a light on the fact that you are able to break that cycle, right? Because again, when your children 
um, see your success, that's what their role model looks like. And that's what they end up doing. They, you've broken the cycle for them to succeed. Yeah, thank you. Um, yes, so by an individual giving me an opportunity, a second chance, uh, it allowed for me to give my children a first chance. They would never ever in their life get a chance to experience uh, poverty the way that I did. Uh, they won't be exposed to the criminal lifestyle uh, that I was once exposed to uh, simply because they're seeing what success looks like. They're seeing what uh, it takes you know, when they're seeing what hard works uh, looks like. And because uh, dad is constantly working, dad is constantly serving and giving back to his community um, and then just exemplifying what true love looks like, uh, my my kids are exposed uh, to positivity and productivity, which is going to help lead and guide their lives in the path that they take because they're seeing something different. So because they have seen uh, something that I was unfamiliar with, uh, it's really giving them hope and giving them an opportunity to really uh, figure out which direction they want to go in life because they've seen a positive role model set the example for them. Um, now, I know that you were doing uh, a lot of volunteer work in the Leavenworth community, and then you decided to run for public office. Yeah. A glutton for, a glutton for punishment. <laughs> <laughs> um did you worry about going public with your own personal story and how were you received, um, you know, at the beginning when people were getting to know all about you? So that is a great question, Karen. Uh, to be frank with you, I've learned while I was in prison that I have to take ownership of my, my mistakes and I have to own my own story. Uh, because if I want other individuals to accept me, I have to first learn to accept myself and what I went through in life. And so when that opportunity for me to get involved off in the public office, uh, I was not ashamed or afraid to share my story. Uh, and it also helped once I got released, I started going to different juvenile out facilities, schools, and churches and sharing my story because I really genuinely did not want people to make the same mistakes that I made. Sometimes in life, if you tell a person where you've been and give them an opportunity to ask questions about what you experienced, maybe it will prevent them from wanting to experience it themselves because they want to learn from your mistakes. And so being able to be proactive with sharing my story, giving people an opportunity to learn about me was always important because I don't want anybody uh, to do research and find out something that I didn't share with them. So you can't tell on a person that's telling on himself. And the moment <laughs> that I put my story out there, uh, some people were uh, open and receptive to it and some wasn't. But there was this 10% that was extremely loud that did not like the fact that a former felon had ended up uh, receiving the most votes, not only during the primary, but during the general election. But the other 90% was open and receptive to it. And one lady made this comment. She said, we need a person that is willing to be truthful, honest, and also a man of integrity that doesn't care yeah. about what people think, because that's the problem in politics today. We don't have it. <laughs> so, uh, But I appreciate that. That really gave me the peace that I need to continue to move forward. Right. They appreciate when people are forthcoming and with their information and, and are just are honest. You know, honesty goes a long way. Um, so you've won two elections now um, and you've been at the top of the ticket both times. 
So I guess you, you must be a pretty good politician, huh? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I like to use the word uh, public servant. <laughs> I think politics got that, you know, it, it got that uh, that negative wording surrounded. But anyway, it's just really about serving the community, giving back. And one thing I always want to share with individuals, you never know what you are until you've encountered what you are not. I experienced being someone I wasn't created to be, and I failed at those things. Uh, the moment I became who God wanted me to be, I began to succeed. I began to prosper. And everything that I set my mind to, I was able to accomplish. I learned from my mistakes, the mistakes that I I had made in my past. I realized that it wasn't a life sentence. It was an opportunity for me to learn. And as long as I had breath inside of my body, I had an opportunity to make a difference and do something different in life. And so as I continue to move forward in my political career, it, my goal is to encourage and empower people and let them know, hey, together we can make a difference. You can accomplish anything that you put your mind to. If you dream it, have faith, and therefore you'll be able to see it and believe and act on what you want to accomplish in your life. Well, very well said. Thank you. Um, now, as you know, April is Second Chance Month. Mm-hmm. And you know you got a second chance and made the very best of it. How how do we encourage other people to take advantage of opportunities? How do we support people to to get their second chance and to take advantage of it? Well, it starts at the top. It starts with the leadership. I think it's important that we work to remove government barriers to housing, education, and work that don't make communities safer, but uh, definitely you know, give people an opportunities who have criminal records. Don't look at their past mistakes. Look at their qualifications. Look at who they are and to see if they're capable of doing the work. I think we, a lot of times we prepare uh, returning citizens for societies, but are we really preparing society for returning citizens? I think that's ah. something that we definitely want to do. Uh, we also can't stop changing the laws. Uh, we all have a part to play in creating a culture of second chance. Uh, you know, work with our local churches, work with the organizations uh, that are really on the front line serving and welcoming individuals back into our communities. And then also, uh, you know, I, I definitely want to give a shout out to, to Prison Fellowship. Uh, for those that are interested in getting involved off in the Second Chance, I just encourage you all to visit the website, visit unlocksecondchances.org and learn how you can partner with Prison Fellowship to promote Second Chance this April and not just during this month of April, but beyond the month of April. Uh, there's 12 months throughout a calendar year and there is normally 30 days uh, each month. So every single day we have to work toward creating a change uh, that is needed for our community and our nation as a whole. So say, say one more time for everyone listening and for myself that we about what you said about getting the community ready. I love that. Yes, ma'am. So we, we, we have to prepare society for returning citizens because a lot of times we prepare returning citizens for society, but we have to prepare society for returning citizens as well. Right. So any any thoughts about how we can do that, how we could better do that? 
Yes, ma'am. Uh, definitely wording. The way that we identify returning citizens, they're not convicts, they're not felons, they're individuals who made a mistake. When they return back to society, let's remove the labels. Let's remove calling this person a felon. Look at this person as his name, not just a property number, not just a mistake that he's made. When you interview this person, this is to the employers, look at the person as who he is standing in front of you or who she is that's, that's representing herself, not her her criminal record, ask the questions, give them a fair chance, give them an opportunity. And I always want people to remember, if no one ever gave you an opportunity, would you be where you're at today? Right. Someone gave you an opportunity. So the opportunity that was extended to you, give the same opportunity to someone else. And you'll be surprised of how that person could help your business, serve your community, or impact you in your own personal life. And that is really important. So it's really about labeling and it's really about providing opportunities and second chance and really about sharing your resources and just giving people take a chance in life. And then always ask the question, you know, I always, I remember to ask myself this, even if it's, I may be skeptical about certain things. I'm like, if nobody would have gave me a chance, would I be where I'm at today? Right. And that's the reason that I'm here right here in this position, because somebody believed in me, gave me a chance. Well, it's really insightful. Thank you so much. And thank you so much, Mayor Wilson, for joining me here today and taking the time uh, to spend a few minutes with me and, and share your insights and your wisdom. And it's just been such a pleasure talking with you today. Thank you so much. Justice Today is the official podcast of the Office of Justice Programs.